one, two, three. Welcome, Welcome to, to My Favorite, favorite theorem. theorem. Okay, good. Right. Yeah. the joint math meetings. They're in Baltimore this year. Um, the last time I was at the joint math meetings in Baltimore, I got really sick, but so far I seem to not be sick. That's so, good. You've yeah. been here a couple of days though. Yeah, there's still time. Yeah, so I've only been to the joint meetings one other time in my life, 20 years ago as a postdoc in Baltimore. I, I, I just got a thing for Baltimore, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, I guess and, so. And so people may have seen this on Twitter. Fun fact, this is our first time meeting in person. Yeah. You're every bit as charming in real life as you are over video. <laughs> and you're taller than I expected because <laughs> my first approximation of all humans is that they are my height um, and you are not my height. Yeah, but you're not exceptional or shorter. No. You're, you're actually above average height, right? I, I, I'm average for okay. a woman, right, okay. which yeah. makes me below average for humans. Well, right, but, well, I mean, I'm below, <laughs> I'm below average. If we're going to go to the Netherlands, for example, like, yeah. I'm below average for the Netherlands. So, yes. uh, yeah. So I'm I'm actually leaving today. This is I'm only here for a couple of days. I was here for the department chair's workshop. Uh, you're here through when? Yeah, I'm leaving on Friday tomorrow. Okay. Um, yeah, but while we've been here, we've been collecting uh, flash favorite theorems mm -hmm. um, where people have been telling us about their favorite theorem in a small amount of time. And so, yeah, we're excited to share those with you. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a good compilation. Um, and I'm going to try to get a couple more before I leave town. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. All right. Enjoy. I am here with Eric Sullivan. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm an associate professor at Carroll College in Helena, Montana, a lover of all things mathematics. <laughs> and uh, here with me in the Salt Lake City Airport, I assume <laughs> catching a connecting flight to the joint math meetings. You got it. All right. And what is your favorite theorem or the favorite theorem you'd like to tell me about right now? Well, I have many favorite theorems, but the... Uh, the one that's really coming to mind right now, especially since I'm teaching complex analysis this semester, are the Cauchy-Riemann equations. Very nice. Giving us a beautiful connection between analytic functions and ultimately harmonic functions, mm -hmm. which is really lovely, and it, it, it seems like a mystery to my students when they first see it, but it's, it's beautiful math. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They are kind of mysterious, even <laughs> after you've seen them for a while. It's like, why does this balance so beautifully. Right, and, and the way you get there with the, the limits, oh, I'm just going to take the limit going one way, then I'll take the limit going the other way, and voila, out comes these beautiful <laughs> partial differential equations. Yeah, very lovely. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have a pairing for this theorem? Ooh, a pairing? Um, oh, boy. Something with a very complex taste. Mmm. Maybe chili. Okay. You know, I'll say chili because there's all sorts of flavors mixed in with chili, and complex analysis seems to mix all sorts of flavors together. All right. I like it. Well, thank you. This is the first uh, lightning, my favorite theorem I'm recording so far at the joint meetings, or even before, just on the way. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm Courtney Gibbons. I'm a professor at Hamilton College in upstate New York, and my favorite theorem is Hilbert's Nullstellensatz. 
which translates to zero point theorem. But if you run it through Google Translate, it's actually quite beautiful. It's like the, the you know, empty star theorem or something <laughs> like that. It's very astronomical. And I love this theorem because it's one of those magical theorems that connect one area that I love, algebra, to another area that I don't really understand but would like to love, geometry. And I find that in my classes when I ask someone, what's a parabola? I have a handful of students who do some sort of interpretive dance. And I have a handful of students who are like, oh, it's like y equals some, square, some x squared stuff. And I'm like, I'm with you. I think of the equation. And some people think of the curve, the plot. And that's a geometric object. And the Nolstellensatz tells you how to take ideals and relate them to varieties. So it connects algebra and geometry. And it's just gorgeous. And the proof is gorgeous. And everything about it is wonderful. And David Hilbert was wonderful. And if I were going to pair it with something, I'd probably pair it with a trip to uh, an observatory so that you could go appreciate the beauty of the stars and think about the wonderful connectedness of all of mathematics and the universe. Um, and maybe you should have, like, a beer or something, too. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you. Absolutely. All right, JMM Flash Theorem time. Introduce yourself, please. Hi. Uh, my name is Shelley Candola. I'm a grad student at the University of Minnesota. And it's warmer here than where you're usually located. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's uh, like 15 degrees in Minnesota right now. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. But. Well, you know, anyway. So, uh, we have to be quick here. What's your favorite theorem? The Bonnach-Tarski paradox. Oh, this is an amazing result that I still don't really understand and I can't wrap my head around. What? Yeah, you take... Um, You've got a, a solid sphere, a, a filled-in S2, and yeah. you can cut it into four pieces using yep. rigid motions and then put them back together and get two solid spheres that are the same size as the yes. original. Well, theoretically, you can do this, right? This isn't something you can actually <laughs> yeah. do, is it? <laughs> Physically, no, yeah. but uh, with the power of group theory, yes. The power of group theory. Okay. Yep, uh, like free group yeah. on two generators. So, so why, why do you like this theorem so much? Uh, so I like it because it was the basis of my senior research project in yeah. college. Uh -huh. yeah. just, it just seems so weird, it's something you should think about. Yeah, yeah. it intrigued me. It's a paradox, yeah. and uh, it's the first theorem I dove really deep into, yeah. and then we found a way to generalize it to arbitrarily many dimensions oh, that's with very cool. uh, one one tweak added. Uh, cool. So what does one pair with the Von Aktarsky paradox? Uh, one of my favorite Futurama episodes. Yeah. Uh, there's this one episode where there's a Bonnach-Tarski duplicator, and Bender jumps into the duplicator, and he makes two more, and he wants to build an army of himself. Sure. But every time he jumps in, the two copies that come out are half the size of the original. <laughs> so he ends up with an army of nanobots. Um, but it, it contradicts the whole statement of the paradox that you're getting two things back that are the same right. size as the original. Although an army of vendors might be fun. Yeah, they they certainly wreak havoc. I mean, you know, aren't, don't we all have a little inner bender? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's powered by beer. That's right. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. You gave a really good talk this morning. Thanks. And, and, and good yeah. luck. Thanks. Thank right. you for having me. Sure. My name is David Plaxco. I'm a math education researcher at Clayton State University. And my favorite theorem is really more of an exercise, I think most people would think. It's proving that the set of all elements in a group that conjugate with a fixed element is a subgroup of the group. And I'll tell you why. Because my dissertation... That exercise was the linchpin in understanding how students um, can learn by proving. 
Okay. So I was working with a student, and he had read ahead in the textbook and knew that not all groups are commutative, so you can't always commute any two elements you feel like. And he generalized this to thinking about inverses. He didn't think that you could that every inverse was necessarily two-sided, which in the group you are. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, so he was trying to prove that that set was a subgroup and came to this impasse because he couldn't put, he wanted to left cancel and right cancel with inverses and could only do them on one side. Um, and then he started to question, like, maybe I'm just crazy. Like, maybe this, maybe you can use the same inverse on both sides. And then he proved it to himself using associativity. Mm -hmm. So he made, like, I call it John's Lemma. He went, <laughs> came up with this um, kind of side proof to show that, well, if you're associative and you have a right inverse and a left inverse, then those have to be the same. Um, and then he came back and was able to left and right cancel at free will with any inverse and then proved that it was a subgroup. So through his own proof activity, he was able to change his own conceptual understanding mm -hmm. about what it means to be an inverse, like how groups work, like all this thing, and it gave him so much more power moving forward. Yeah. So that's how that proved, that theorem became my favorite theorem mm -hmm. because it gave me insight into how individuals can learn through group. Nice. And do you have a pairing for this theorem? <laughs> um, my diploma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Does, does that seems appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. All right, thanks. So I, I'm Terence, and I'm currently a uh, final year undergraduate in studying in Oxford. My favorite theorem is actually uh, a, a really elegant proof of Euler's identity on the Riemann-Sitter's function. Uh, we all know that the Riemann-Sitter function is defined in a way of uh, sum 1 over k to the power s, where k uh, runs across all the uh, natural numbers. But at the same time, so Euler is given a really good uh, uh, another formulation, which says that it is the same as the infinite product of 1 minus 1 over p to the power s, where p runs uh, across the prime. And that is very interesting, because if you look at it, you see on one hand a uh, infinite sum, and on the other hand, you have an infinite product. And it's, it's very rare that we see that uh, infinite sums and infinite products actually coincide. And not only that, because it is a function that actually works on uh, nearly every s uh, larger than 1, then that means that this beautiful, elegant identity actually uh, runs correct for infinitely many uh, values. And the, most, uh, and the most interesting thing about this uh, theorem is that the proof to it is actually uh, could be done probabilistically where we consider some certain particular events and we realize that the sum of um, that the, uh, the Riemann-Sitter series sum is actually equivalent to finding a certain intersection of uh, infinitely many independent events and thus it is just a, uh, a pro an infinite product of certain events and thus we have a uh, the Riemann-Sitter function equaling a particular infinite uh, product and I think that is something that is really out of uh, out of our imagination because not only does it uh, not only does it link two things, a sum to an infinite product together, but at the same time, the way that it proves it comes from somewhere we could not uh, even uh, imagine, which is from probability. 
So uh, if I need to pair this theorem with something, I would say it's like a spider web because uh, you can see that there's very intricate connections and that things can connect to one and each other, but in the most mysterious ways. Cool. Well, thanks. Thank you. So hi, I'm Courtney Davis. I am an associate professor at Pepperdine University out in LA. Okay. And uh, I hear that we have a favorite model, not a favorite theorem from you. Yes. So I'm a math biologist. So my, I'm going to say the obvious one, which is SIR modeling, because it is the entryway into getting to do this cool stuff. It's the way that I get to show students how to write models. It's the first model I ever saw that had biology in it. And it's something that is ubiquitous and used widely. And so despite being the first thing everyone learns, it's still the first thing everyone learns. And that's what makes it interesting to me. Yeah. And, and can you kind of just sum up in a couple sentences what this model is, what SIR yeah. means? So SIR is you are modeling the spread of a disease through a susceptible S population through infected and inter-recovered or immune. And you can change that up quite a lot. There's a lot of different ways to do it. It's not one fixed model. And it's all founded on the very simple premise that when two individuals run into each other in a population, that looks like multiplication. And so you can take multiplication and with that build all the interactions that you really need. Uh, in order to capture what's actually happening in a population that at least is well mixed so you, that you have a big room of people moving around, about in it, for instance. Okay. And I'm going to spring something on you, which is that usually we pair something with our theorem, or in this case model. So we have our guests, um, you know, choose a food, beverage, piece of art or anything. Is there anything that you would suggest, you know, that pairs well with SIR? With an SIR model, I would say... Uh, a paint gun. Okay. I don't know that that's what you're looking for, but that's great. Simply because running around and doing pandemic games or other such things is also a common common way to get data um, on college campuses, so that you can introduce students and they can parameterize their models by paint guns or water guns or something like that. Oh, cool! So I like it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm Jenny Hankel. I'm a graduate student at the University of Utah. I study commutative algebra. My favorite theorem is this isomorphism between a particular local cohomology module and an injective module. Um, top local cohomology of a Gorenstein ring is isomorphic to the injective whole of its residue field. Uh, but I was thinking that maybe it would pair really well with like a dark chocolate and like a sharp cheddar because these two things are isomorphic. And you would never expect that, but then they go really well together, just in the same way that I think like a dark chocolate and a sharp cheddar seem kind of like a weird pairing, but then it's amazing. Also, they're both beautiful. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Dan Daly, and I am the interim chair of the Department of Mathematics at Southeast Missouri State University. Southeast, in the, is that in the boot? That is in um, close to the boot hill. It's about two hours south of yes. St. Louis. Okay. I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan, so already we're, 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 we got something here. So what's your favorite theorem? So my favorite theorem is actually the classification of finite simple groups. That's a big theorem. That is a very big theorem. Like 10,000 pages of theorem. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So what draws you to this? Is this your area? So, uh, so I am interested in algebra and combinatorics. Mm -hmm. And I am generally interested in all things related to permutations. Okay. 
And one of the things that drew me to this theorem is that it's such kind of an amazing collaborative effort mm -hmm. and one of the landmarks of 20th century mathematics. It's a big deal, yeah. And, uh, you know, just to me, it seems such a such an amazing result that we can, can classify these building blocks right. of finite groups. Cool. So what does one pair this with? So... I think since it's such a collaborative, collaborative effort, yeah. I'm going to pair it with the Louvre Museum. The Louvre, okay. Yeah. All right. Because it's a collection of all of these different results sure. that are paired together to create something yeah. that is really, truly one of a kind. Yeah, I've never been. Have you? I have. Okay. It's is a it, wonderful place. Yeah, yeah, it's a fabulous place. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait until I can afford to rent it out like Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right, well, thanks, Dan. Enjoy your time at the Joint Math All meets. right, thank you much. Uh, my name's uh, Charlie Cunningham. I'm a uh, visiting assistant professor at Haverford College, and um, my area of research originally is, or still is, geometric group theory. But uh, the theorem that I wanted to talk about was a little bit closer to set theory, which is I wanted to talk about um, the existence of solutions to Cauchy's functional equation. Okay. And what is Cauchy's functional equation? So Cauchy's functional equation is a really basic sort of thing you can ask about a function. It's asking, all right, you take the real numbers and you ask, is there, what are the functions from the real numbers to the real numbers, where if you add two numbers together and then apply the function, it's the same thing as applying the function to both of those numbers and then adding them together. Okay. So kind of like your naive student wanting to like how a function should behave. Yes, right. So this would come up in a, a couple of places. So that's, that's the, if you've taken linear algebra, that's the first axiom of linear function. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ask about uh, the scaling part. It's just the additive part. Uh, and if you've done group theory, it's um, the fancy way. Is it's all the homomorphisms from the real numbers to themselves okay. as an additive group. So um, the theorem basically is that, well, well first the, the question is, well, there are some obvious ones. There's all the functions where you just multiply by a fixed number, all the linear functions you'd know from linear algebra, like 2 times x or 3 times x or pi times x, any real number times x. So the question is, are there any others? Or are those the only functions that exist at all that, um, that satisfy this equation? And the theorem turns out that the answer depends on the fundamental axioms you take for mathematics. Wow. Okay. Right. So um, the, the answer is, just to use a little bit of set theory, that um, if you are working in a set theory, which most mathematicians do, that has something called the axiom of choice in it, then the answer is uh, no. There are lots and lots and lots of other functions that satisfy this equation, other than those obvious ones, but they're almost impossible to think about or write down. They're not continuous anywhere. They are not differentiable anywhere. They're not measurable, if, you know what, if, if anyone knows what that means. Uh, their graph, if you tried to draw them, are dense in the entire plane, which means any, <laughs> any little circle you draw on the plane intersects the graph somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. but they still pass the vertical line test. They're still functions that are well-defined. Um, and uh, I really like this theorem. One reason is because it's a really great place uh, for math students to learn that there isn't always one right answer in math. Sometimes the answer of very reasonably posed questions isn't true or false. It's depend. It depends on the fundamental universe we're working in. It depends on the what we all sit down and agree are the starting rules of our system. And it's a sort of question where you wouldn't realize that those sorts of considerations would come up. Uh, it also comes up um, when I've asked linear algebra students. Um, it's equivalent to the statement: um, Are both parts of the definition of a linear function actually necessary? We usually give them to you as two pieces, one that satisfies this and the other is scalars pull out. Do we actually need that second part? Can mm -hmm. we prove that scalars pull out just from the first part? And this is the only way to prove the answer is no. 
you can, it's a good exercise to try yourself to prove just from this axiom that rational scalars pull out. Any rational number uh, has to pull out of that function, um, but real numbers not necessarily. And these are the counterexamples. So it's a, a good place at that level when you're first learning math to realize that there are really subtle issues of what we really think truth means when we're beginning to have these conversations. Nice. And what is your theorem pairing? Uh, my theorem pairing, I'm going to pair it with artichokes. Because okay. I think that artichokes um, also had a bad rap for a lot of time, for a long time. You should also look up the artichoke war, if you've never heard of it, uh, <laughs> in the, a great part, piece of the history of New York City. Um, and it took a long time for people to really understand sort of these prickly, weird-looking vegetables can actually be, like, delicious if approached from the right perspective. Nice. Well, thank you. All right, thanks. So I'm Ellie Dannenberg, and I am a visiting assistant professor at Pomona College in Claremont, California. And my favorite theorem is the Kirby-Andreev-Thurston circle packing theorem, which says that if you give me a triangulation of a surface, that I can find you exactly one circle packing where the vertices of your triangulation correspond to circles, and an edge between two vertices says that those circles are tangent. Okay. So this, this seems kind of related to Voronoi things? Um, Maybe I'm totally going in the wrong direction. So I know that these are, so I, I don't think they're exactly related. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Continue. Okay. Um, but it, right, it's cool because, so right, the theorem says you can, can find a circle packing if I hand you a triangulation, but what is more exciting is you can only find one. So that's it. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Cool. So. All right. And do you have something that you would like to pair with this theorem? So I will pair this theorem with Mahamara, which is this excellent Middle Eastern dip made from walnuts and red peppers and pomegranate molasses that is delicious mm -hmm. um, and goes well with anything. Okay. Well, it's a good pairing. My husband makes a very good uh, version. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is Manuel Gonzalez Villa. I'm a researcher in uh, CIMAT, Guanajuato, Mexico. And uh, my favorite theorem is the Newton Poisset theorem. This is a generalization of an implicit theorem, but for uh, singular points of algebraic cars. That means you can uh, parameterize a neighborhood of a singular point of an algebraic curve with a power series expansion but with rational exponents and the denominator of those exponents are bounded. Uh, the amazing thing about this theorem is that it's very old. It comes back from uh, Newton, but uh, some people will still use it in research. I learned this theorem in Madrid where I make my PhD from uh, a professor called Antonio Diaz Cano. And uh, also I learned with uh, the topologist, uh, Jose Maria Montesinos, to apply this theorem. Uh, it has some uh, high-dimensional uh, generalizations for some type of singularities, which are called quasi-ordinary. And uh, um, the exponents that... Uh, the, the, um, so you get a, a power series, so you get an infinite number of exponents. But there is a finite subset of those exponents, which are the important ones, because they codify 
all the topology around the singular point of the algebraic graph. And this is why this theorem is very important. And uh, uh, the book I learned it from is Robert Walker's Algebraic Graph. And uh, if you want a more recent uh, reference, I recommend you to look at uh, Eduardo Casasalvero's book on singularities of plane curves. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, so uh, can you introduce yourself? My name is Joanne Growney. I'm a retired math professor and a poet. And what is your favorite theorem? Well, well, the last talk I went to has had me debating about it. What I was prepared to say an hour ago was that it was the uh, proof by contradiction that the uh, real numbers are countable mm -hmm. and the Cantor's diagonal proof. Um, I like proofs by contradiction because I kind of like to think that way on the one hand and then the opposite. Um, but I just returned from listening to a program on um, math and art, and I thought, wow, the Pythagorean theorem is something that I use every day, and maybe I'm being unfair to take <laughs> something about infinity instead of something practical, but I like both of them. Okay, so we've got a tie there. And have you chosen something to pair with either of your theorems? Um, we like to do uh, like a wine and food pairing or, you know, but with theorems, you know, is there something that you think goes especially well with one of these? For example, a <laughs> poem, if you've got... I know. Well, actually, I was thinking the Pythagorean theorem made me think, and it's probably a sound thing, made me think of a carrot. Okay. And, oh, the uh, theorem about infinity... It, it surely should make me think of a poem, but I don't have I don't have a pairing in mind. Okay. So. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm uh, Michael Vadimir Johansson. I'm from the City University of New York. City University of New York. Which one? Uh, College of Staten Island and the Graduate Center. Excellent. All right. So we are sitting in an Afghan restaurant at the JMM. And what is your favorite theorem? My favorite theorem is the nerve lemma. The nerve lemma. Okay, so remind everyone what this is. So the nerve lemma says, well, it's basically a family of theorems, but the original one, let's say, understand it says that if you have a covering of, of a topological space, yes. where all the cover elements and all arbitrary intersections of cover elements are simple enough, yes, then the intersection complex, the nerve complex of the covering that inserts a simplex for each non-empty intersection yes. uh, is homotopy equivalent to the full space. Right. This is extremely important in topology. Very And useful, yeah. fuels most of topological data analysis That's in right. one way or another. Absolutely. Very important theorem. So what, what pairs well with the nerve lemma? I'm going to go with cotton candy. Cotton candy? Okay. Why is that? Because the way that you end up collapsing a large and fluffy cloud of sugar yeah. into just thick, uh, chewy fibers if you handle it right. That's right. Okay, I, this pairing makes total sense to me. Of course, I'm a topologist, so that helps. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm Michelle Maness. I'm a professor at the University of Hawaii. And my favorite theorem is Sharkovsky's theorem, which is sometimes called period three implies chaos. 
<laughs> so the statement is very simple. You um, have a weird ordering of the natural numbers. So three is bigger than five is bigger than seven is bigger than nine, etc. All the odd numbers. And then those are all bigger than two times three is bigger than two times five is bigger than two times seven, etc. And then down a row, four times every odd number and you get the idea. And then everything with an odd factor is bigger than every power of two. And the powers of two are listed in decreasing order. So two cubed okay. is bigger than two squared is bigger than two is bigger than one. So one is the, one's the smallest, three is the biggest, and you have this big weird array. Uh -huh. And the statement says that if you have a continuous function on the real line, and it has a point of period n, for n somewhere in the Tsiolkovsky ordering, so put your finger down on n, it's got a point of period everything less than n in that ordering. So in particular, if it has a point of period 3, it has points of every period, mm -hmm. um, every integer. Uh, so, I mean, I like the theorem because the hypothesis is remarkable. The hypothesis is continuity. It's, like, so minimal. Yeah. And you have this crazy ordering, and the, the conclusion is so strong. Mm -hmm. um, and the proof is just really lovely. It basically uses, like, the intermediate value theorem and, like, pretty pictures of folding the real line back on itself and things like that. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, I it's, my, it's my favorite theorem. Absolutely. Okay. And do you have something that you would suggest pairing with this theorem? So, for me, because when I think of the theorem... I think of the proof of it, which involves this like stretching and wrapping and stretching and wrapping and an intermediate value theorem. It feels very kinetic to me. And so I feel like um, it pairs with one of these kind of moving sculptures that moves in the wind where things sort of oh, nice. flow around. Yeah, it, it feels like it feels like a kinetic theorem to me. So I'm going to say uh -huh. it pairs with a kinetic sculpture. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Uh, hey there, I'm John Cobb. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to tell you my favorite theorem. Yeah, where are you? I'm at uh, College of Charleston. I'm applying for uh, PhD programs right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so I picked one that I thought uh, it was really important. I'm surprised it isn't on the um, podcast already. Um, I have to say that's Grudel's incompleteness theorems. Um, partly because for, for personal reasons, I'm in a logic class right now. I'm learning the... Um, mechanics of the actual proof, but um, when I heard it, I was, I was becoming aware of the power of mathematics, and um, hearing, uh, hearing the power of math uh, to talk about its own limitations, <laughs> mathematics about mathematics, was something that was, um, uh, really solidified my, my journey into math. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so what have you chosen to pair with your theorems? Yeah, I was unprepared for this question, so I'm going to be making it up on the spot. So you would say your your preparation was incomplete? Yeah, <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> um, man. Um, I'll go with the crowd favorite, pizza, for no reason in particular. Well, pizza is the best food, and it's good with everything. Yeah. So that's a reason enough. Awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, my name is Thalia Fernos, and I'm an associate professor at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. Um, my favorite theorem is Riemann's rearrangement theorem. And basically what it says is that if you have a conditionally convergent series, uh, you can rearrange the terms in the series so that the series converges to your favorite number. Oh, yeah, okay. When you said the name of it earlier, I I didn't remember, I didn't know that was the name of the theorem, but yes, that's a great theorem. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, the proof basically goes as follows. So um, if you uh, do this with, for example, the, um, the series, which is 1 over n times negative 1 to, say, the n plus 1, so that looks like 1 minus a half plus a third minus a fourth and so on. Mm -hmm. So um, when you try to see why this is itself convergent, what you'll see is that you jump forward one, then back a half, and then forward a third, back a fourth. So if you kind of draw this on the board, you get this spiral. And you see that it very quickly um, kind of zooms in or spirals into um, whatever the limit is. So, um, so right, so now this is conditionally convergent because if you sum just one over n, uh, this diverges. And you can use the integral test to uh, show that. So, um, right. So, so now if you have a conditionally convergent series, you uh, will have necessarily that it has infinitely many positive terms and infinitely many negative terms and that each of those series uh, independently also diverge. Mm -hmm. So when you want to show that uh, a rearrangement is possible um, so that it converges to your favorite number, what you're going to do is let's say that you're trying to make this converge to one, okay? So you're gonna add up as many positive terms as necessary until you overshoot one and then as many negative terms as necessary until you undershoot. And you continue in this way until you kind of have, again, this spiraling uh, mm -hmm. effect into one. And now the reason why this does converge is that uh, the fact that it's conditionally convergent also tells you that the terms go to zero. So you're, you can add sort of smaller and smaller things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, you don't run out of things to, to use. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And what have you chosen to pair with this theorem? Um, for its spiraling uh, behavior, uh, escargot, which I don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have eaten. Um, it, I don't seek it out necessarily, uh, yeah, what, but it, it is very spirally. Okay. What does it <laughs> taste like? Uh, I, it tastes like butter and parsley and okay it, like yeah. whatever it's uh, cooked <laughs> yeah, in yeah basically yeah. I mean, it's a little chewy it's not unpleasant i don't i don't find it terribly unpleasant uh -huh. but i just kind of don't think it's a delicacy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, i'm not very french so yeah i guess that's fair yeah. well thanks sure thanks for listening to my favorite theorem hosted by kevin knutson and evelyn lamb the music you're hearing is a piece called fractalia percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chao Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.